Hello and welcome to another edition of the Moving Iron Podcast. This podcast is proudly provided by Axon, helping dealers move more iron for almost 100 years. Find out more at axontire.com. Axon was started almost 100 years ago out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. It's that same passion that drives them today. With a vision for a better experience for both farmer and dealer, they set out to create a better way to move more iron. When you partner with Axon, you get immediate access to a full range of products and solutions designed to meet the complex needs of today's grower. Axon carries all major brands and sizes of tires, wheels, and tracks. From custom colors and sizes to fully customized wheels, you can have the solution for virtually any problem today's farmer is trying to solve. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving iron time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here. Moving iron. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast Markets with Sean Hackett. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by Axon Tire, helping dealers move more iron for the past 100 years. Also, Arrow, if you're looking for a great place to find great tools for your salespeople to sell more stuff, check out Arrow at heyarrow.com and you'll find all the stuff you need right there. Well, this is kind of a special edition of the Moving Iron Podcast Markets with Sean Hackett because Sean is actually in Brazil right now, and he's taking his uh, coffee tour, kind of seeing what's going on out there. And uh, Sean had uh, breaking the action here, and he got a minute to jump on the uh, on a call with us here. So, Sean, how you doing, man? I'm doing pretty good. I'm, fr- I'm in Virginia, Brazil right now, uh, right in the heart of the coffee belt. And we've done about 1,200 miles so far. And I got another three days, but it's been really uh, a great trip talking with agronomists, farmers, and just seeing the effects of drought, frost, and, um, and, and where things are at with the rains and everything else. So we're, we're gathering a lot of, uh, of information that I don't think um, you know, one could get any other way. So, All right. So you've, you've been there for how many days you say you've been there so far? This is let's say Thursday for that we've been there for been here four days so far. All right, four so days. your fourth day in, in country there, and you're you're making your tour. What are your assumptions so far? Well, I mean, um, you know, I, I think you have to really think that we that we've had this unprecedented combination of drought mm-hmm. and then really two hard frosts and one soft frost all in, in one month's time, and that combination has really, really done um, tremendous da- damage to not only the coffee crust potential for last year, but it also was doing a lot of damage for the coffee crop for this year. And, and, and there's nothing that we see with the current flowering, with the current uh, buds that are forming, the rains that have fallen, that that outlook is really going to change. The damage has been done. And the only thing that good weather can do now, Casey, is just stabilize uh, the crop at where where it's at, and 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 hopefully you know take it through to the end. But in our view, there's really no way to rehabilitate what's happened uh, because of the unprecedented nature of yeah. you know what we're seeing. And so it's 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 pretty um you know one part it's pretty interesting from an agronomy point of view, but it's also pretty sad when you're looking at farmers that were looking at tremendous production looking at zeros on their farms yeah. it's um yeah. pretty, pretty heartbreaking at times i have to tell you it really yeah. is so <clears throat> yeah it is it's uh it's a tough situation to be in 
So, have you had a chance to see anything else down there as far as crop wise goes? Have you seen, you know, looked at any of the, the corn that's out there that's being harvested or any of the soybeans are being planted, anything like that? I have not had a chance. I do believe we'll have some chance to do some of this over our next three days with where we're going. Mm -hmm. Where we were is primarily coffee country. It's just, it's, right. it's, it's really. <laughs> that's where they go the coffee but i think where we're go i believe where we're going here in the next few days um we'll have some opportunities to see some some corn and, and such forth uh, along with the coffee so i'm hopeful that i can get some reporting back on that so what's the difference between the coffee area and the uh and the, the corn and soybean areas i mean is it a soil content is it a growing on the side of a mountain or what, what are we what's the difference here in the in the two pieces coffees tends to be grown on higher elevations okay. on cliffs gotcha. you know th something that's not really going to be conducive for the corn crop so it's pretty hard to get yeah. a combine through there for sure yeah. so it, it it's really um it's really a, a different and different soils too i mean it, it, you really don't grow mm. i'm not saying there aren't places where they can grow coffee and in corn but the the high production areas of coffee are really not grown what corn is grown it's just or soybeans for that matter so yep Okay, so uh, in the next coming days, what are you going to see that you haven't saw, seen so far? I mean, you know, we just want to make sure we do a thorough look at everything. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, uh, you know, we, we kind of started in the center. We went over kind of the southwest into the center. And now, you know, we just we just want to make sure we cover all the areas that we're not, you know, we don't want to be over. I, I want to be very fair there is some good coffee. Doesn't mean every single acre right. um, is bad coffee. There's a, there, there's a there's some really really good coffee out there. Um, I don't want anyone to misconstrue that there's no not going to be a crop. There is going to be a crop. It's just going to be substantially below potential. And right. this was the on season year where they were supposed to have the big big production to overcome the deficit from last year. <laughs> and there's absolutely no way that's going to happen. Yep. Not going to happen. Yep. So well, that's some. I guess so. What you're saying is you're what you kind of what your hypothesis is. You're you're kind of proving it to be uh, to be true. I guess. Well, well, what we did back in in late August, early September is we we kind of did a statistical model of what we thought production would look like. Mm -hmm. We went back at past frosts and we said, or how much damage was done. We looked at the frost, the, the triple frost. Looked at at the areas that were impacted. Also looked at the drought, lack of vegetative growth. Lack, lack of nodal formation. And we said, but, but also understanding that farming is, is, is done better today than it was 30 years ago. We have better practices. We have hardier trees. So we put a kind of a fudge factor back on saying, you know, we, we, we probably aren't going to perform as poorly as those past crops. And when we did that whole statistical model, we came in with a crop around 40 million bags. An on-season crop in Brazil should be 50 to 55. Oh, okay. So you know, we're, we're, and and so everything that we that we see kind of supports this number. You know, I don't really feel that right, right now that the crop's worse than that estimate materially, and I don't think that the crop is materially better than that estimate. I think somewhere forty million, give or take, you know, a million either way. I, I think right now, and of course, lots of weather still to go, uh, Casey. Mm -hmm. All we've done now is we've had some good rain here in October. The flowers have bloomed. They've set some, uh, you know, some uh, some buds, but we still have to get through uh, the cherry formation uh, stage, and that the cherries really start to form in December, and then they 
form and, and, and grow in January, February, and March. And that has a lot to do with how big the coffee beans will or will not be. If they're smaller, it takes a lot more coffee to fill a bag. Mm-hmm. If they're larger, it takes a lot less uh, coffee beans to fill a bag. And that has a lot to do with what your yield is, how many bags per eight, per hectare you're going to gotcha. get. Yeah. Our view has been that we would not have a repeat of last year, that we would have much more ample rainfall in the first part of the growing season. And that has proven correct. We have a very wet October. November looks like good rainfall, very good for grain markets, very good for planting, really, really good start. However, we do believe that as La Nina weakens in January, February, and March um, and begins to dissipate, we do think that the risks of a, a drier weather pattern will return. So uh, right now with the, co- with, the, with the coffee crop from last year being so small, there's absolutely no room for anything, any more adverse weather. So we're going to be keeping, we're, we're going to put out our formal forecast mid, late November. We just need a few other metrics to kick in, but we think it could be a, a drier January, February, March. And that could be really something that could really take this coffee market and really juggernaut it to yeah. something much higher. And remember, second crop corn, uh, you know, they, they, Brazil desperately needs a big safrina corn crop this year mm-hmm. now their soybeans are in early and they're gonna be harvested early so we're not gonna be worrying about delayed planting uh based upon the soybean crop because they they plant the beans behind the soybeans um for the second crop corner the safrina crop corner. but if we get into a hot dry pattern doesn't mean it'll be as bad as last year but it may not deliver on the big rebound that they're hoping and praying for down there and so we kind of think we would be following that period some excitement could be generated, at least in the corn and the coffee market. We think so. Yep. So I want to I want to point one thing out that you uh, talked about on this podcast probably four weeks ago. Yeah, right about four weeks ago, probably three weeks ago, and you were talking about how the in the West that the uh, the drought was over, right, and that it was going to be uh, going to start seeing more moisture coming and those kind of things. I did read an article this morning about fear of landslides and you know, flowing debris, I guess is how they put it, which I'm guessing that's the same as a landslide um, in California. So talk about that a little bit and what you see happening there. Remember, we already had this huge blizzard uh, I, I, you know, over the last few weeks out west yep. that dumped tons of snow. And now behind it, we're getting this, it's almost a mini bombogenesis storm. Um, and from central to northern California, into Washington, into Oregon, and, and, and a little further west, one of, some, of the, one of the, some of the worst, worst areas of the drought area. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're getting flooding, torrential rains, high winds, you know, inches upon inches in hours, that kind of stuff. And, um, and so, yeah, the, 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 the mudslides, we, we mentioned that, you know, we'd be talking about mudslides before too long. And, of course, most of the weather forecasters just a few weeks ago were saying the drought was going to continue as far as the eye could see. But the La Nina Modakai that we've talked about on your program before uh, is different. And it pushes moisture into the West instead of taking it away from last year. That's why Brazil is wet right now. That's why the West is starting to get moisture that it didn't get last year. And um, and we and we think that trend is going to. They're getting a lot of snow in the Sierras. It's 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 part of this different La Nina cycle that we're in. And as the La Nina 
dissipates. Casey, uh, we talked about how this might impact drought in Brazil in the first quarter, but as, as it dissipates, the spring's going to get much wetter. Much, and of course, because it's a late ending winter that we're anticipating, you know, we're just not going to be talking about drought out west. Um, we're going to be talking about things like mudslides, right. record snowpack melt, uh, rivers overflowing, flooding in, in the you know, that's those are going to be the sound bites that are going to be worrying the market. Oh my gosh, how are we going to get this crop planted? We already planted it, we have to replant it, prevent plant. Oh my gosh, we're going to get a late season frost. What does that mean for the winter wheat crop? All these things are going to be what we're going to be talking about as we move into the springtime. A very, very different weather pattern. And I would be doing your program a disservice if we didn't talk about a developing stratospheric warming event uh, that we've talked about, mm -hmm. I think, on your show before. Yeah, just last time um, we talked about it, you were bringing that up. Yeah. So, so a sudden, sudden stratus forming is when you get this very, very warm air over the, the in the stratosphere of the Arctic. Mm -hmm. And uh, when that happens, it causes a high-pressure system to build. And that high-pressure system builds strong enough, it will force the cold air, destabilize the polar vortex, cause the jet stream to do this amplified marinal structure, and it forces a polar vortex intrusion into the lower latitudes, whether it's Europe, the U.S., that sort of thing. We mentioned that we thought we would see probably one of the earliest stress from warming events ever uh, since we've been looking at this stuff. Yeah. And sure enough, we are right now it is developing. In fact, I'll be putting a podcast tonight out to subscribers to talk about it. But um, uh, the stratosphere, uh, there's something called 10 HPA and 30 HPA. That's the pressure. The higher up you go, the lower the pressure. Mm -hmm. The lower you go, the higher the pressure. So that's kind of like your, your thickness of the stratosphere, that if you have warming going on both the top and the bottom, mm -hmm. you have a very healthy stratospheric warming event. Both 10 HPA and 30 HPA, when you look at the measurements, are now surging well above normalcy for what they're supposed to be. And if you look at uh, the upper airflow pattern of the temperature, we're going to have a full-blown, unadulterated, sudden strength warming event by November 1st. And it would be the earliest we've ever seen that. I think December... I believe mid-December was the earliest we've ever had before. Now, it doesn't guarantee a polar vortex, but it dramatically increases the chances. And usually, if you're going to get uh, a, there's a lag effect. So when when the polar when a sudden stratosphere that kicks in within 30 to 40 days, you're likely to get the up uh, this this upper air pattern to destabilize. So last year, for example, we got one of these right. late December yeah. into January. And we said, you know what? Based upon this lag, we should be looking for one of these in the first part of February. Boom. We got it. So we're going, we are going to, this is happening. It's, it's happening. We're going, we're, we're, it's coming and it's going to fully express itself in early November. We would be looking for a polar vortex potential in the first half of December could be the latter part of November, but that would be the, the biggest high risk window to get this um, sudden start warming event to trigger one of those events of which we think is going to be repeated over and over. We've been warning that November would be the, the transition from the warm October we were predicting 
to this long, early starting, late ending winter. And, and, you know, right now it's verifying exactly as we've been mentioning in with you and, and, and in our reports for months now. So keep an eye on this. You're going to hear all your weather guys, whoever you listen to out there, you're going to be hearing about this sudden strike warming event everywhere in about another two weeks. And it's, it's to be, you're going to hear this over and over again. And, and it's, it's, and it's part of why we're going to get storms like we're seeing out in California. Mm -hmm. These, these cyclones, these bombogenesis, these almost these winter kind of storms that are just out of sight, more violent than normal. It's part of the whole cycle. So, so by the first week of November, we could see a serious snowstorm of sorts come through the West somewhere. Well, it, it, it means that when, when this, when that happens, the whole upper airflow is getting screwed up. Okay. The whole thing is getting destabilized. So it's kind of like saying, uh, you know, you're on a plane and everything's fine. And all of a sudden they turn the seatbelt light on because turbulence is coming in and you're going all over the place. Mm -hmm. That's what's going to happen here in another two weeks. The atmosphere is going to be jumbling all over the place. And when that happens, the opportunity for air masses to clash with each other and amplified jet stream gotcha. to clash with each other increases. And so, uh, so, so yeah, I would really be thinking like mid November onward, I'd be really be looking at, cause there's a lag really be looking at a lot of storminess, a mm -hmm. lot of snowfall, a lot of inclement weather and potential for some pretty severe potential polar vortex intrusions, especially the first half of December. It's our first shot at one of these, and once again, it's, it's about a month earlier than we've ever seen before. Right. So, Well, the positive thing about this, Sean, it's pheasant season. So this bad weather's coming at the perfect time so that the pheasant hunting is even better than it normally is. So I'm super jacked right now. Super jacked. All right. Happy times. <laughs> it's good times, yeah. Now I'm sure other people are going to be cussing me when this happens. But nonetheless, it's going to work out well. <laughs> but I think there's a – So now, guys – Pay attention to this because the I want to the reason I pointed this out was on this show, Sean has talked about this particular event happening in you know mid November through December um, since summer a long July time. you know yeah. <laughs> so yeah. so I mean this and then now that we're talking about the landslide thing in California um, that just triggered my mind this morning. When I was reading through news and those kind of things. I saw that on. I was like, man, Sean talked about this exact thing ha thing happening, you know. So, if you're listening to this and you want to subscribe to what Sean has, Sean, how how do people subscribe to your to your uh, to your newsletter and your podcast and stuff? Our website is Hackett H A C K E T T Advisors dot com. Lots of free videos and sample reports and white papers for the for your listeners to get a good idea of what we do and how our natural climate cycle algorithm may allow them to, you know, make better decisions. So. Yeah. So what I'm getting at is the stuff he's been talking on here from when I thought he was wearing a tinfoil hat to where he's at now is actually <laughs> happening. So, so now it's, it's starting to make more sense, Sean. So, um, you know, pay attention to what Sean says. Let's, you know, subscribe to his stuff, go to the website, check those things out because I'm telling you it's well worth your time to do that. So, Sean, I appreciate you being on the podcast. It's wonderful to be here. I'm really glad I was able to get a good connection here in Brazil and mm -hmm. maybe uh, 
you know, I can, I can find a way to do this before I have to, before I go home on Thursday night, you know, again with you, maybe, maybe I can get here and I get you on a Tuesday uh, yeah. evening or something yep. uh, from a, from a, one another hotel. Yep. So. That'd be great. Stay away from all the anacondas and stuff down there. You know, <laughs> there's some big ones. So be careful where you're down there. Okay. Yeah. Well, uh, I, I'm going to definitely, uh, you know, watch my step. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Right on. <laughs> Well, Sean, thank you for being on the podcast. I'm Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Make sure you check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. That's where you're going to find the latest editions of the Moving Iron Podcast. Also, go to movingironllc.com where you're going to find everything that has to do with Moving Iron Podcast from the uh, entire libraries there. All the Moving Iron blogs that are posted are there. Um, also, the information for the Moving Iron Summit that will be coming up here pretty soon. I've got a few things got dialed in, and I'll have some dates and uh, venues put together. So uh, with that, I'm Casey Seymour with Sean Hackett. Let's move some iron, folks. Out. You want to have a meaningful competitive advantage to help sell more equipment. Whether you represent the sales, parts, or management department of an implement dealership, there's a surprising amount of complexity when it comes to tire, wheel, and track technology. Let Axon worry about that so you can get back to supporting your customers. Axon has leveraged years of experience to create a streamlined process that gives you a proven path to help today's grower and sell more equipment. The reach of their organization go back almost 100 years to the invention of the rubber tractor tire. Supporting agriculture is the number one driver of Axon from product development through sales and service. To find more or become an Axon dealer, head over to axontire.com. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Time and time again Through the years you'll find us here